What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And we are coming at you hot with another Fall of X special. This is diving into this week's Fall of X comics from Marvel. If you haven't checked them out, please do, because we're definitely going to get into spoilers and break them down. First of all, thank you, everybody, for giving us feedback on these special episodes. It's been great to hear and really encouraging us to keep doing them. Big week, too. Lots of comics. Double the issues we've talked about. Double. There's a chill in the air. It's like fall is coming, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. I can feel Very the tumble. leaves of Krakoa fall. Yeah. There you go. Nice. Good. Yeah, great. <laughs> it's like we're pushing of... the leaves through a meat grinder, mm-hmm. and they're Did you know, going actually, I place. passed by Starbucks the other day, and they brought back Wolverine spice lattes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, that stuff gets overblown. Mm-hmm. I just feel like every Starbucks has their own Wolverine yeah. spice latte, and like mm-hmm. I just want one. You know, yeah, well, that's one. the thing is I get one at the beginning of the season. And I'm like, ooh, this is very sharp. Why do I keep getting that? And then I forget by the next year. But, you know, it's, mm. a, it's a tradition. Anyway, yeah. we got a lot of issues to talk about. So why don't we get into it? The ones that we're going to be talking about today are Uncanny Avengers number one, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Javier Garan, Alpha Flight number one, written by Ed Bryson, art by Scott Gudluski, Dark X-Men number one, written by Stephen Fox, art by Jonas Scharf, and X-Men Red number 14, written by Al Ewing, art by Yildere Sinar. I do want to mention also, I think this was... I don't know the exact release schedule, but this was between last week and this week. There were two Marvel Unlimited comics that tie in that mm. were released. X-Men Unlimited number 100 and X-Men Hellfire Gala Last Rites number one. I tried to read them, but for the life of me, I cannot understand how Marvel Unlimited <laughs> <laughs> works. It is um, the most confusing website that's a bad of all time. Sign. <laughs> it's, it's not good. I've been reading and plumbing through comics for a while and that is something that i'm like all right i'm sorry guys i've spent many minutes trying to find these comics out here i can't goodbye a review of those two comics are i'm sorry (laughs) moving on to a book that we do have in our hands yes well why don't we go not to pass any value judgments why don't we go from least confusing to most confusing if that's okay with Mm -hmm. you Interesting. Well, uh, let me just say something about these books yeah. in general. Like, you know, we, we started doing this to be like, oh, this is a real change. It's uh, clearly uh, n- the next era when it comes to the Krakoan era and what we're doing in the X-Men books right now. And it did feel very different. There was like the Hellfire Gala and then sort of stuff spinning directly out that and stuff sort of spinning a little bit in another direction. Reading all these books, I'm like, oh, now we're in a Krakoification of the fall of Krakoa, <laughs> where we're in like, oh, this book's about these characters doing a thing that I don't know yet. Or like, mm-hmm. and I, this is very, I, cause I like all that stuff. Cause it, it lets these comics get a little wooly and weird. But it's it's very it's interesting to me that we're sort of doing that again here in this event that is signaling a transition away from it. Well, I think what you're getting at, and I was sort of feeling that to this week is there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of characters that we have been comic readers for years that I'm like, who's that? Who's that guy? Wild side? What's what's going on here? You don't love Wildside? Well, I actually like we'll get into that, but I think like. You know, jumping ahead to talk about towards the end there, X-Men Red is a very uh, – let's go to the end there. Let's talk about X-Men Red because this is one that I read and I was like – to full disclosure, I have not been reading X-Men Red. Reading the order that I read them in is the order that I listed them in and Kenny Avengers, then Alpha Flight, then Dark X-Men and X-Men Red. And at least two of those books are like – 
Ooh, some bad stuff going on on Mars since they started deporting all the mutants there. And in Alpha Flight, they're like, can we get to Mars? And they're like, I don't know. There's a big civil war going on there with all the mutants they deported. I was like, okay, this will follow up on that. And it decidedly does not. There's a scene of Sunspot, which I thought was very good and mm. very powerful, yeah. of him stumbling into Storm's Citadel or whatever it is, saying, everybody's dead. Sam's dead over and over again. It it hurts and it picks up right off of the Hellfire Gala, but they're like, eh, we're kind of in the middle of a civil war right now. We can't really get into that stuff. And that's a bummer to me when I read that because there are some big sci-fi ideas going on here. I mentioned this on the Stack podcast, but it's the sort of thing that I think if we were reading it as like a Jonathan Hickman image book, we'd be like, woo, big sci-fi. This is fun. This is wild. Yeah. But as it is... The fact that we have this clear line of mutant refugees are being sent to Mars, what is that doing to the structure of Mars? And then that is not answered in this comic is frustrating for me. Well, especially because like, yes, I I agree with all of that. The Roberto storm scene is great because it's two characters we really like and have known over the years talking about a person that we are sad, I think, to lose. Cannonball, great X-Men. So it like it all hits. It all makes sense. There's an emotional resonance there. And the rest of it is like mostly here are some ideas about all of these things happening. And that's confusing internally because we don't know a lot about these characters, I think, and why it's happening and what it's going toward. It's also confusing externally because Shadowcat came to uh, Mars and was like, okay, uh, he, this in a city in um, the, the second book that came out, go, go do this thing. And he's like, yeah, this place is bad. And then he, it looks like a Batman comic almost with right. X-Men characters in it. And I was like, wait, what is happening? Cause this is like big broad spanning, you know, blockbuster, like what's the biggest blockbuster we could think of? Like um, John Carter. From, uh, Meg from Mars. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so like something like that when really, so I, it, there's just like dissonance between the, the books in this, in this uh, event already. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a bit of a bummer. I mean, I don't know. Obviously we're not involved in the publishing schedule or anything like that, but like you're saying, it felt like Hellfire Gala gave us this clean break to just reset the estimate and really dive into what it is. And instead, we're getting a light break. You know, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the stuff that's coming up next week. And I feel like it's the same sort of thing. It's looking like this mix of what's happening here? Well, how does this yeah. pick up on this? And some that do tie directly into it. Well, like some breakups, uh, after you break up, you get back together for just like a little bit. You know, oh, like this, see the, this book is the box of stuff left behind. That exactly. It almost literally is that. It's like, <laughs> oh, here's some stuff on Mars uh, that we were still dealing with, like Apocalypse, Genesis, all that stuff, which is interesting, big like Game of Thrones style mm-hmm. storytelling. But I'm currently sort of lost in who and what and why. And, and then Nova is also here. Nova... Just hanging out. Just yeah, just a just a regular old guy, Robbie, hanging out on Mars. I do want to give a shout out though before we move on from this one. Uh, to be clear, like we're not slamming it. I think it's a well done comic. There's some phenomenal art in this book. There's some big two page spreads of like Storm wrecking these enormous statues of Apocalypse and Genesis that I thought were very cool to see. There's a great scene of some character shooting somebody with an arrow for some reason, but yes. very well done and paced out. It was cool, but I yeah. don't know why. And there was a man see- who was fishing earlier who came back, and he's like half worms, sort of. Mm-hmm. So that's like a fishing thing. Yeah, that saves you money, man. 
Yeah. Bay <laughs> and tackle. <laughs> yeah, his bait and tackle hanging out. Uh, this anyway, why don't we move on <laughs> from this one? Uh, presumably it's going to tie back to the thing that you brought up. I'm forgetting the exact name of the character, the guy that Shadow Cat left on bars. Whatever yeah. they get past this, we're gonna get to that, I would hope. I or somehow in there. Like I don't know, because that was just like a kid. Right. I think, right? That well, she, yeah, I I love I don't know. The last thing I'll say before we move on is I do love that idea of like there's a civil war raging on Mars at the same time this refugee element comes in here. What does it add into it? Like how does yeah. it complicate things politically? But we're so literally high level here. We're missing that ground level feel, which is what I think we got from the sunspot storm scene. Right. Exactly. All right, why don't we jump back to Uncanny Avengers number one, since this is Jerry Dukin, who's one of the, pretty much the main guy for the X-Men line right now. Obviously, this is kind of the important one here, but we are getting- I have, I, real quick, I have a, the very least important question to ask yes. here. What do, you, what do you feel like when you see, like, on the cover of this book, um, and you can see Steve Rogers' eyebrows mm-hmm. through his mask? What do you do feel, feel like, <laughs> like, what does that make you feel? I, I just feel like- I like what does this mask not fit anymore? How do you get how do you miss he, your eyebrows? He's, like, ah, ah. he's doing a little groucho marks going on. Well, maybe it hurts if you have a, your mask pressed up against your eyebrows. So he's just would you like, prefer he shaved his eyebrows, eyebrows like my grandmother used to do? I, oh, yes, I, that's funny. When I was reading this, I was like, I want these characters to be more like Alex's grandma, and I just I didn't know exactly what that meant, mm-hmm. but I thought it was like making uh, some jams. Yeah, I'll tell you what, my grandma and Steve Rogers kind of the same generation, so it makes sense. The greatest generation, Alex. Exactly. Yes, my grandma was also a super soldier. Yeah, <laughs> I know. She she was so tiny before she got, and then she was jacked, dude. Yeah, oh, Jack Grandma. The I'm just saying, I yes. find it strange when you can see his eyebrows. Okay, uh, that was the my big takeaway for the issue as well. Yes, absolutely. So this is bringing together what is ostensibly supposed to be a new Avengers Unity Squad led by Captain America to take the fight. Back against Captain Krakoa, particularly, if you didn't read the Uncanny Avengers free comic book day issue, you actually get, I think, a good amount of recap going on here. There's a lot of recap of this book to get you caught up to stuff. Um, But you do probably need to go back and read that because the important thing to understand is Cyclops, when he was part of the X-Men, the public facing team died. The world didn't know about resurrection protocols. He took on the guise of Captain Krakoa so he could still be a part of the X-Men and still fight for truth and justice in the American way or whatever. And he ultimately, (laughs) very quickly after that, resurrection was revealed to everybody, so he didn't need the identity anymore. Somebody else, who we find out was resurrected by Dr. Stasis and Modoc, we don't know who it is yet, has taken on the identity of Captain Krakoa. Did a false flag attack, I believe, on the United Nations, if I remember correctly. Um, I think it was Congress. Oh, it was Congress. Yes, it was Congress. It was, um, it was, it was sort of fucked up. What happened. <laughs> it was. And so at, at the end here, we're getting Captain America picking up on that, putting this team together. And the team involves Psylocke, Penance, Quicksilver, Deadpool, and Rogue. And on the opposite side, we have a new mutant liberation front, which is being built up here, led by Captain Krakoa, who everybody on that team thinks is Cyclops. Also, Blob, uh, Fred Dukes, now called Blob again. Wildside and Andrea and Andrea Strucker, a.k.a. Fenris, are taken out of the pit and brought here Mm. to fight them. Um, I, 
Uh, opposite to X-Men Red, I really like this book. I thought Jerry Dugan did a great job of giving it yeah. an enormous amount of exposition, but working it into some very propulsive action over the course of the book. I was really impressed and excited about this one. I agree. I thought that the action was excellent. I really like the character choices here. It's great to see Psylocke just, like, kicking ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me back to some, like, real Claremont-era X-Men comic work. Um, the sum totality of her psychic force mm-hmm. is on display here. Which yeah, is- and just to clarify, also, these are some characters who have some of the most complicated continuity in X-Men, and that's saying something. Yeah. But this is Psylocke, who is Quanon. Not Psylocke, who is Betsy Braddock, because they're two separate people now. Yes, they were split like 10 years ago, I want to say. And then it was like, but it was like a flip, a personality yeah. flip, and then a it, split. There was a personality flip, then a split. But then as of the Krakoa era, I think through the resurrection, Betsy Braddock is now just Betsy Braddock. And yeah. Quanon came back as Psylocke, but they both kind of have the same powers or something. I don't know. Yeah. There you go. Uh, interesting. Sure. The but I so I like I like seeing uh, her here. I it is funny how the phrase some totality of her um, psychic powers is in my brain forever. Just because it was in every single issue that Chris Claremont ever wrote. The one that but stuck also, with me is oh gosh oh golly oh wow. He yeah, used that right. a lot. Well, you got to have your tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, some totality. That's a weird <laughs> choice of words. It's like doing math for no reason. Uh, anyway, yeah, I like this team. You know, and it, it like like you said, like Quicksilver has such a complicated story right now. Penance is like a little bit confusing. Monet Saint Croix in like this sort of two different bodies at different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's 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 a lot going on. But I like the introduction of this new mutant liberation fund. I think that's a good villain choice here. And the Captain Krakoa mystery is. Some people are like, well, it's obviously the Cap clone from uh, mm-hmm. the big Hydra crossover. Is that a Secret Empire? Secret Empire, yeah. Which but, gets a shout out here. I mean, this is this was a theory thrown out by Brett Macris, Stray Bullet, on our Patreon Slack, where he was picking up on when we go through Deadpool's history. Deadpool was on the original Unity Squad, really bonded with Captain America, but it turned out that was Hydra Cap at the time. Uh, and he, uh, Deadpool was basically like, I'm team cap, not realizing it was a Hydra cap and went whole hog into that and completely wrecked his reputation. So I do think the bringing up of secret empire and inclusion of Deadpool here does point to, it could be Hydra cap resurrected. I also feel like it needs to be a human, not a mutant because otherwise why would Dr. Stasis and Modoc? bring this person back when they're so anti-mutant, you know, but do you have another theory? Well, not, not really. I don't have a good answer. I think that is a good answer. Uh, but I would think it would be a mutant because just a mutant they control or, or is just hates the X-Men, which there are plenty of those just because of the way that it's, uh, that it's, it's Captain Krakoa. It could, and I guess like the idea that it's Hydra Cap is like, it feels too fresh to go back and be like, and that cap is back and he's also a bad guy again. Mm-hmm. It would make sense though, from a like uh, crossing unity squad to have a, a me quote unquote mutant uh, villain hero, hero in villain or villain in hero disguise. That is a human masquerading as a mutant sort of getting mm-hmm. the unity all in one there as well. Well, you had also suggested when we were talking about it earlier that it could be Magneto again in a Zorn style reveal. I don't know if that, 
textually makes sense. It doesn't with, really track. Yeah. But the, I, it struck, what made me think that is it struck me that the Mutant Liberation Front was chosen as this te- a team that hasn't been around forever. And to have them here makes me think it might there might be a callback there to, to a, a character. What if this is just off the top of my head, literally just thought of us because of the MLF. What if it's Strife? See, that's dope. I love yeah. that. And I, because that's why I think Hydra Cap is like sort of the on the nose choice. Making a choice like that is super exciting, I feel like. Yeah. Because it's the uh, same thing. You're twinning the clone idea, mm-hmm. but it's a uh, cable clone rather than. Yeah. Cap. And Strife is somebody who hates the mutants. So there you go. Uh, he, he's got a bone to pick at a sharp, sharp and thing. Going seems, on. seems, exactly. And seems to love Wildside, mm-hmm. a character that's like, are you clown Wolverine? Basically. <laughs> Uh, so we got that. Uh, there's another question thrown out here. We get Ben Yurek, which who seems to be one of Jerry Dugan's favorite characters. He's running the Deli Bugle now. He says that he's got a friendly source on the inside. Who do you think that is? I I don't know. That's uh, Cap, I guess, is the... Sure. Why not? Be. He's he's chatty. Chatty Cap. Because who else would it be, honestly? Like Deadpool? Imagine Ben Yurick talking to Deadpool. That's <laughs> Bad source. Bad sourcing on that. Too many Bad jokes. Source. Rogue doesn't feel like she talks. Maybe Monet St. Croix. But then it's also like, that's weird. Yeah. But I, I do like, to get back to it, to the team for a second, I do like the mix here. This is a really good mix. Like, I love the idea that Psylocke and Pettit's are just ripping shit. They're just killing people all over the place, and they make an alliance inside this team to be like, okay, we're going to stand with Captain America. Clearly, you've got a position of strength here, but second this goes south, we're out of here. Quicksilver, confusing continuity. He's not a mutant anymore. Not a mutant. Magneto is not his father. What is he right now? So that gives him some potentially interesting psychological things to delve into over the course of this book. Like what does it mean that he's fighting for mutants when he's no longer a mutant? Deadpool we talked about has that clear tie there. And Rogue for a character who has been very complicated over the, her history almost feels like the steadiest character in this book, which is great. Yep. Just flies around punching stuff. I I do think it's funny that you see a lot of cap and Deadpool like undercover. Like what are Mm -hmm. they, do you think they grab a coffee in the way? Like, Hey, (laughs) maybe quick D and D run. Yeah. Uh, they might. I also like uh, Cap's undercover shield where, you know, people, his, we live in New York. People always walk around with enormous round backpacks. Well, what I do is like I use my shield for it's like I used to have free refills on coffee at Starbucks. Oh, yeah. I usually bring it, it into the movie theater, bring it over to the Slurpee machine. They can't stop you. They no can't. They, that's the thing is they can't stop you. Mm-hmm. The carrier he has is very nice. It's like a... a Paul Jacobs leather shield clutch or whatever yeah. he's got. I don't know. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying the right brand there. I almost said David Spade, how off I was. <laughs> Making like Kate his, Spade, but for men. <laughs> his clothing line is not good. It's awful. Very Terrible. bad. Yeah. It used to be good like back in the 90s or so, but yeah, not anymore. No. Sort of aged out of making sense. Just uh, the the bags, the bags. Of course, of course, that's what we're talking about. I love the line. Very, very dumb, hilarious joke. But uh, Rogue saying, uh, Deadpool is using the codename Sugar for Rogue. And Rogue says, don't sugar be Wade. And his answer is, that's my favorite White Snake song. It's good. It's good. That's a good, weird joke. Yeah, very funny. I I mean, Jerry Dugan obviously started writing Deadpool, so he has a good handle on the humor there, which I always like. Let's talk about this MLF team. Obviously, you're not the biggest fan of Wildside. 
I love the Fenris twins. They are great, horrible, really? pretentious, snotty villains. I just really like them a lot. I don't know. Well, I mean, I agree. They're, I guess I just don't know enough about them. But this team is insane. Like, in, I guess Blob is sort of the leader. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because there was a bit of reclaiming of not using that name anymore because it is offensive. Uh, yeah. So instead, they started calling him Fred Dukes. He was the bartender over at Krakoa. To have him immediately switch back to Blob and everybody calling him Blob, how do you feel about that? Well, uh, it's either just like, ah, I don't truck with that, or maybe there is an underlying reason why that would be. Because I do think just just using the MLF is sort of uh, you know going backwards. It's mm-hmm. regressive to bring this team up. It doesn't make sense. It, MLF was sort of a take on like terror in the 90s also mm-hmm. in the real world. So it's sort of like – it's like, oh, this all feels a little dusty, I think, purposefully. It's not a criticism. And I, and I actually think that's good. So, like, I hope there's a reason behind – I guess it's all to say. I hope there's a reason behind the that that makes sense with the story. Yeah. Considering how much time they spent on uh, – redeeming is probably too strong, but I'll say redeeming him as a character and really figuring out how he can work the current – world that we're living in. I'm curious to see what direction they're going to go in and potentially what it means when Captain Krakoa is revealed either to them or to everybody. Well, not to throw gas on a wild theory that it's strife under the the mask. Mm-hmm. Like that would make sense. He could be controlling, trying to like literally put back together a team mm-hmm. of people and controlling them psychically. Yeah, there we go. We're going to dive into this stripe thing, and that is 100% could be Hydra Cap. Yeah, big wrong. It's going to be big wrong. <laughs> We're going to spend weeks on this. Weeks! Yeah. Uh, two last little things that happened here I wanted to bring up. We've been wondering where Krakoa is, like literally the island. Did we get to see a shot of Krakoa crying here, which I yeah. thought was nice and interesting. Sad. I also wondered what happened to Professor X, because we got this whole setup that Professor X is protecting the island, and he's nowhere to be seen when Captain Krakoa jumps into the pit in the middle here. So I don't know. Any, any theories on that, that no prize make it make sense? Big Island. Big he's island. on the beach. Okay. He's on well, the plus beach. There are, the there are technically two Krakoas, right? There's an East Coast and a West Coast. Uh, are there? There's Krakoa believe- and Arako, but Arako is Mars now? No, I think there's an Atlantic Krakoa. <laughs> we host a Fall of X podcast. Well, uh, yo, believe me, because when I saw this, I was like, I think they said there's an Atlantic Krakoa and a and a a Pacific one in one of the yeah. There's uh, transit is Krakoa Atlantic. Okay. And then uh, hold on, <laughs> now I have to just literally read this. Uh, what? Well, why don't I keep talking while you're looking it up? The whatever it is, it's not a big deal. It's fine. He's in the center of the island. There's clearly something going on with Captain Krakoa with our strife theory. Maybe he's blocking Xavier's, uh, you know, psychic powers. We'll see. Oh yeah, you I, think it goes that deep? Now uh, we're getting a little. Now we're drinking our own. No, I, I, I think that was basically like, let's not worry about that too much and get him involved. That makes things too complicated for the page count that we have. We got to get Fedris out. I will also mention, though, in terms of the coordination thing, jumping ahead to Dark X-Men when we get to see Havoc's week, Fedris shows up at the Limbo embassy and tries to get asylum. So that doesn't make a lot of sense necessarily because they're overdoing this other thing at the same time slash in the pit. But 
I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll gel at some point. There are two Krakoas. There's Transit, which is like a Krakoa Atlantic, and there's mm-hmm. Krakoa, which is Krakoa Pacific, and then it split, like you said, between Krakoa and Arako back in the day. So there's three of them? I guess, well, Krakoa and Arako, that was the full... Right, right. Um, so that was like more... that, And that happened before... But uh, <laughs> this is, let me say, this is confusing. <laughs> All right. Let's not worry about it. Uh, we're going to table that point for a second because we still got two issues to talk about. Let's talk about Alpha Flight number one. I'm definitely the bigger Alpha Flight fan of the two of us. Traditionally. Yes. So the idea here is we've got ostensibly two teams of Alpha Flight, Snowbird, Guardian, Shaman, and Puck. Then on the other side, we've got Nemesis, Aurora, Northstar, and Fag, a.k.a. Dokken. Wolverine's son. And Canada has decided to crack down on mutants and deport them. Now, something that we talked about when we were talking about on the stack, we were like, I don't know if Canada would do this. I am no Canada law professor or anything like that, mm. but I did a quick bit of research because I'm not familiar with Canadian politics. And please, if anybody listening to this has a better handle on it. Um, but there is a refugee policy in Canada that's basically hand in hand with the United States, where if refugees come across the border from the United States, Canada basically sends the back. And this is a very controversial policy that I believe the Supreme Court of Canada sort of doubled down on back in March of this year or something like that. So even though reading this, I was like, I don't know if Canada would do this thing. Maybe maybe they would, you know? I mean, after right. doing a little bit of reading about this, the fact that they'd be like, there's a crisis below the border. We got to crack down over here. Our very broad assumption about Canada being the nicest place in the world it's not always. So there you go. That's fair. I think that, though, I do think Canada has a pretty progressive policy when it comes to, like, world refugees. So, yes. Um, I, I I agree it could be, though. Like, United States tends to bully Canada politically on a lot of things as well. The other thing that's going on here is traditionally there's been a couple of elements of Alpha Flight. And one is that you have the Alpha Flight team. Obviously, they're Canada's premier super team. They're working for Department H. But there's always a terrible person who's running Department H. There's secrets on the bottom of Department H. And usually several issues in, if not two issues in, there's some sort of turn there where Department H and the Canadian government is the villain and Alpha Flight is working against them. So... That's basically what we're getting here in this first issue. And I will say I had a better appreciation reading it through the second time because the twist that you know is coming, like you're spending the entire issue waiting for why would there be two sides of of the Alpha Flight time? Why would they agree to this, even with all of the history? And ultimately, to jump to the end of the issue, it's revealed that they are all working together against the Canadian government. That's set up in the very first scene of the issue where they have the team talking about, like, people are going to hate us for doing this. They absolutely yeah. think the implication is supposed to be for tracking down mutants, but it's actually for betraying the Canadian government. And then the second page, I believe, is Guardian jumping out of the ship and saying, Alpha Plight, let's put on a show. And yeah. so that is this clear indicator right from the start that this is what we're doing. However... I will say, versus the very fluid exposition that happens over at Uncanny Avengers, it does feel a little bit of a heftier lift here in terms of getting everybody caught up with Alpha Flight's continuity and Roger Box Jr. and everything else. How did you feel about this one? Um, The name Box, B-O-C-H-S, being like, well, I'm going to name my robot B-O-X, I was like, 
That's fun stuff. That's some classic comic book writing mm-hmm. right there. But don't so we have Roger Box Sr., who, like you said, we spent a lot of time, a lot of real estate in the issue getting into that. And then Roger Box Jr. Isn't it gonna be the same guy? Oh, that makes sense. Yes. It feels like they've done a, <laughs> such a job of being because Roger Box Sr. um had like he he couldn't walk, he had like an injury or something. So right? yeah, this was uh, it's been a really long time since I read Alpha Flight, but he was legitimately, when I was reading it as a kid, one of the saddest characters to read because he's in a wheelchair. He was born without his legs below the knees, I believe. Mm. And he built himself this box suit, like an Iron Man style suit. I think it was even inspired kind of by Iron Man so that he could get around. Ultimately, he was able to transform his body into a full, like, more traditional superhero body so that he could romance Aurora, who he was in love with, and then his body started to degrade, if I remember correctly, like, fall apart, and it was very upsetting to read. So entirely possible, given the transformation of body stuff, that, yes, he has changed himself into his own son. I can 100% see that happening. That's my small prediction there. Um, What do we think about Dokken Fang here? Like, I, I like I like Doc, and I think that's a character that I feel like they took some real big swings on with being like Wolverine's son, villain, and then sort of drifting back into hero. Interesting, like background, uh, like the dresses very well. Now we have this this uh, Fang, and he's just like in an old saber toothy sort of suit. We need a little more on him, I think, is the yeah. big thing. I did love the exchange of it's Fang now, and then Pac immediately shooting back. It sounds dumb. That was yeah. a nice, fun, punchy little joke line. But yeah, he's an interesting character. And I think that that was the big thing here is we spend a lot of time on plot and getting caught up with plot. Why Alpha Flight is no longer in space. They previously were like on the space station working with Abigail Brand, protecting Earth. Now they're back in Canada, which makes a lot more sense for a Canadian super team. Yeah. Um, So there was a lot of time spent on that. There's also a lot of time spent on two different mutants who are being chased at the same time. One, Arjant, who is in Canada, who they ultimately take to the safe house and really wants to go to Mars, which we talked about earlier. And then we get an old teammate of Alpha Flight that, for the life of me, I cannot remember at all, who we're supposed to be very emotionally tied to, who is in California and trying to flee. So they're hoping to help him as well. Um, There was a lot of back and forth there. I don't know. there There was a bunch of jumping around, and it felt... It felt a little fractured. There was a lot of work, but now that the work is out of the way, I'm curious to see how we net out in terms of character in issue number two. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a lot sort of laid out in this issue, but I, I even though it's like you're, I agree with you, it's a little jumpy around, jump aroundy. But I, I really like this issue. Mm-hmm. I really like that it's sort of embracing the larger politics and ideas that are going on with the Fall of X stuff and and Orcus. So like. Uh, I'm on board with this. Maybe I'm the number one Alpha Flight fan on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. I agree with you. And I like the idea of diving into United States Canadian politics, if that's what they're going to do. Like I was saying, now that the work is out of the way, you got the tw- Thunderbolt style twist at the end of the issue out of the way. They can move forward and really dive into this and dig into this. And I do think Ed Bryson is probably the right guy to do it. I think he could probably do a good job. So excited to read more. Yep. Last one we're going to talk about here is Dark X-Men 
number one, which is a wild assortment of characters. I'm going to read it out here. We got Madeline Pryor, who is the Goblin Queen, who is lording over the Limbo Embassy, a giant demonic building in the middle of New York City. She is back in a relationship with Havoc, who is kind of her co-ruler. And then the other yeah. people on the team by the end are Zero, Emplate, Azazel, Gambit, Archangel, Archangel, excuse me, Maggot, Gimmick, and Albert. Uh, so <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. You think Albert's like, you go by Maggot? I'm going to go by Albert. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, there's so much going on here. There's so much going on yeah. in this book with so many different characters that I know we were talking about complicated continuity without County Adventures. This is people who are like, what is it? Oh, that's that's the red nightcrawler who is maybe his dad who is a demon. Not 100% sure. Who seems like vaguely magical. Yeah. Well, he was the devil and had an affair with Mystique, who had Nightcrawler. I believe that's, that's I believe that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So it is like, but I also think this By is. By the way, where, I just wanted to mention I don't remember my children's birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to focus your thinking into like the sum totality of your psychic force, and maybe you'll remember exactly. that stuff. Yes. Sum totality of your familial duties. Yeah. Uh, the, this is all like. Characters, I'm like, oh, yes, I remember, like, M-Plate's another one where I'm like, right, you're Monoy St. Croix's bad guy brother, mm-hmm. older brother, who is, like, I remember back in the Generation X days was, like, very scary and, like, evil, like, absolutely horrible to um, his siblings slash one sibling, because back then Monet St. Croix was a person and Penance was sort of, like, another sibling. Sure. But they <laughs> took that, that went away because I... They combine the characters <laughs> somehow. Uh, so anyway, like there's just a lot going on. I didn't know who Zero was, but it feels like they poured all these interesting toys into a bag and they're shaking it up and it's sort of fun. It's yeah. like when you crack open a pinata and you're like, ah, candy. What's Ken? Is that a Charleston true? Yuck. But I'm eating it anyway. Yeah, it's it's definitely there's moments of fun and weirdness in here that keep it going, even in the middle of what is happening and why are these people doing this? We're like. Madeline Pryor waking up in the morning and turning her blanket into her Goblin Queen costume by burning it up and Havoc being like, oh, my God, those are expensive sheets. What are you doing? Very fun moment. The reveal of her demon cerebro called the Mercy Crown that I believe is made out of the skulls of people from Genosha or something like that was the implication. Oh, that's horrible. I didn't know that. But that's uh, I did like that, that they have like the infernal (laughs) uh, (laughs) device to track people. Yeah. And like the fact that there's a embassy, a limbo embassy in New York, I'm like, we're already a step out of like this making sort mm-hmm. of perfect sense. So that's why I think the tone of the book really matches that. I really like Havoc. I really like that he's sort of like the ah, he's like the Jason Bateman in the rest of development of this mm-hmm. team. It was like, guys, stop <laughs> blowing stuff up for a second. We have to do this a specific thing. And I like their relationship. It's a little weird that his brother's dating or with Jean Grey until mm-hmm. she died, and he's with her clone. I think that's worth a conversation back at the old uh, Summer's well, that, house. That's been a very consistent thing. This is yeah. the thing that I was missing a little bit in this issue is like that, that they're also runs. You know, we get that a little bit from Maddie when she's talking about, I should have been there when Jean Grey died. I should have been there for her, which I think ostensibly yeah. is her motivation for being like, I'm creating my own X Men and we're going to save everybody. Here we go. But 
we don't get enough of that in terms of the plot and the introduction of the character. Same thing with Havoc, who ends up getting stabbed through the throat by the end. So I, I was like, Jesus, how's he come back from that? I assume he's going to be mute now or something. Like, I feel like there was a mute Havoc era for a while. Uh, yes. Even. Yes, that yes. Happen? That does sound familiar. Yeah. So maybe this is a callback to that. Uh, but, like, we also at the end get this guy with a red eye who I'm not 100% sure who that is. We get the reveal of the one true goblin queen, which is going to be the villain here. I'll throw out there the second half of the book is like Havoc's fun week, and it goes day by day showing basically we get an introduction to all these characters and how they ended up in yeah. the Liberal Embassy. There's a part of me, not to totally like backseat, write, or edit, or whatever, but I wish this was the book. Like the idea right. that mutant refugees are trying to seek asylum and you have a demonic embassy in the middle of New York, that's fun. We don't need yeah. a dark X-Men team. What we do need is like a workplace comedy set in the limbo embassy as mutant, weird mutants seek asylum there. That's a great call because like the book is right on the edge of being like the West coast Avengers mm-hmm. of the fall of X run. And that is fun where they're like, yeah, we'll take some people. We sort of don't have our shit together. And cause that's what the, like you're saying, the back half book is and havoc is the guy, the main character trying to keep it all together. And he just can't quite do it while he's trying to get his relationship uh, on say keep his relationship on track with Madeline Pryor. So like that is fun. And again, though, do you get this little bit of the Spider-Man crossover in here? Oh yeah. Which with, I'm Chasm? Like, with Chasm. But I'm like, this is such a mixing of peas and carrots that I still, when I see it, I'm like, Oh, right. That whole thing. And it's just, strange. yeah. Yeah. That's for anybody who doesn't know about that. Chasm is Ben Riley who doesn't have his memories. So basically went insane and became a villain. He brought hell to earth along with Maddie Pryor. Maddie got her memories back. Chasm did not. And now Chasm is her prisoner in some sort of Chasm preserve in the middle With of the limbo. Deal. Yeah, exactly. He's got a nice joint, it seems mm-hmm. like. And in, in Limbo, he's got like nice trees. It Doing looks great. like he's in the, the cover of a Final Fantasy game from the 90s. Yeah. But yeah, it's a little strange. Uh, again, very much willing to follow this book. I just yes, for sure. I like this. Yeah, I, I just I want more of that focus there. Now that we've got the team together and we've got the villains and everything, so we'll see what happens. Why don't we wrap up here and we'll talk about what's next? Uh, now, I want to mention my nine-year-old who religiously reads mm-hmm. X Men comics gave a tagline here that he would like me to say. <clears throat> Here's what's next on Fall of X. Yeah, I'd love it. I right? love it. Yeah. I'm raising a little podcaster. Uh, and so here's what we got. We got a bunch of titles coming out next <laughs> week. We got Jean Grey, number one. This is number one of four. It's a limited series. This is interesting. It's written by Louise Simonson with art by Bernard Chang. And this is, as far as I can tell, one of those nostalgia books that they've been doing. Looking yeah. back at the life of Jean Grey, who is now a sexy skeleton with hair, I believe, on Krakoa. Right. Is her status I called? think – yeah, I don't know if that's her official X name, but mm-hmm. um, that is what her status is for sure. Yes. So the the thing here is it's going to be one of those nostalgia books, but actually tie into Fall of X. So potentially show what is going to happen with Jean Grey, how she comes back, something like that. So very curious to check that one out. Here's one of those books. Is the I'm, short answer just Phoenix? Is it just yeah, Phoenix? <laughs> just Phoenix. <laughs> Phoenix. Egg, probably. We'll see. Uh, next up, we got Realm of X, number one. This is another miniseries. Uh, there are four issues coming out. And this is another one that I'm like, 
does this tie in? We'll see. Where Magic, Barrage, Barrow, and two characters who did not start with M, Dust, and Typhoid Mary, separated <laughs> from Kingpin, her husband, have found themselves but, stranded in the realm of Vataheim and have to fight their way back. So, yo, that's wild. That does sound fun, though. Yeah, absolutely. But that's a weird. Yeah, weird team. Uh, And then we also got X-Force number 43. Colossus is leading a team featuring, again, Deadpool, Wolverine, but Laura Kitty, Wolverine, Omega Red, Domino and Black Tom Cassidy to do something. We don't know what it is yet. That's I mean, I like all those characters. Omega Red in there. I'm like Omega Red started as one of the worst villains in the X-Men canon. And now he's just like, I hang out. My tentacles are pretty sick. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious to see about that one. And then the last one, which almost is the most important one. We didn't really talk about the scene with Tony Stark in Uncanny Avengers. There are these Stark Sentinels that are. Orcus has corrupted and are using to basically control the entire world. We get an implication that Tony Stark is pretending to be drunk again. He's palling around with Emma Frost, who is in a very good disguise as his Ugh, assistant. I had no idea. And he is trying very hard to reprogram the Stark Sentinels, but it's not working so far. So Invincible Iron Man number nine is a big tie-in as Tony teams up with Emma. I think I could be wrong about this, but I think we're going to jump back in time and kind of catch up to this show how they started working together. And this, of course, is kicking That's off cool. a big crossover event where Tony Stark and Emma Frost are getting married. So we're going to see that go through an upcoming issue of Iron Man and an upcoming issue of X-Men, I believe. That that tracks. Uh, ex- I don't know <clears throat> how their relationship is going to uh, come together. I mean, Tony Stark tends to date women that he's working with. So yep. he's which is, you know, not the coolest move mm-hmm. uh, over and over again. But uh, let's see how it goes. You think Cyclops is going to be like, you know, I dated her briefly as well, if he yeah. ever gets released from Well, Cy- Cyclops has his eyes shut and is paralyzed and being held hostage by Dr. Stasis, so he's got a couple of other things on his mind. Yeah, but I also, like, when an ex gets married, you're still probably a little bit like, oh, man, that's wild. It just makes you nostalgic, no matter what's I going on. I wonder if he'll be invited to the wedding. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right, Cyclops, we'll let you go to this one wedding, but you better come <laughs> right back here to your okay, little cage. No problem, Dr. Stasis. You got it. All right, we're going to wrap up here. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Fall of X. Apple, Spotify, not Stitcher, because that's going away at the end of the month. Subscribe on any other major platform. At Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, here's what's next on Fall of X. <laughs> it's beautiful, sweet. You used it a lot, though. Just nothing.